To hell with what counts as classified. People need to know what happened here. I don't know what the government was after when they started their experimental zoo here, but I need to let people know what it can do to humans. What it did to my friend. My name is Greg, and I operate the lighthouse out here. I can't really say where, but let's just say it's an island off the southeastern coast that isn't on the map. I'm the kind of guy that enjoys my alone time, so it's a perfect job for me. Boris is the primatologist, so he's the one working with the monkeys. There's about 500 of them here, and they roam free. They usually like to keep their distance from me, and I keep my distance from them. Boris feeds them, so they like him more. I don't like to pick a fight unless they get too curious near the lab or start chewing on the wires to my satellite TV. Boris's job is the monkeys. Mine is the lighthouse. Now, Boris, he doesn't bother me much, but sometimes our paths cross for meals. It's just him and I here, and occasionally some government types when they decide to helicopter in from the oil rig to drop off supplies. I don't ask a whole lot of questions, and I think they like that about me. Tell you the truth, I think the reason I'm here is so that Boris doesn't go insane. I think any man would if they spent as much time with monkeys as he does. He seems to know a lot about them, and he's taught me a little over the last few months. He calls them an old world monkey. But I saw something I shouldn't have, and now my cozy island living has turned into a nightmare I will never forget. I woke up to the sound of new orders printing from the fax machine, a sheet of paper coming directly down from the government on high. But this time was different. Whatever the page said had disturbed Boris. He was pacing around the room, muttering to himself as he read it. I couldn't hear what he was saying. He then sat quietly in the corner, both hands running through his thinning hair. This was the dance we do when our paths did cross. I would pretend to mind my own business while he wrestled with some secret government task on the other side of the room. I kept one eye on him over the book I was reading. He got up from his seat, headed straight to the kitchen, pulled out the bottle of liquor from the shelf. His hands trembled as he poured a drink. Things are going to get dark out here, Greg. He slid the paper across the table. I maintained eye contact as I placed my book on it. Look, man, you and I both know that we signed something that says I really shouldn't look at that, I said. He picked up the glass, irritated that I wouldn't look. He returned to the other side of the room and slumped back in his chair. It didn't take long before I picked up the book off the page. Mine curiosity and got the best of me, wondering what the big secret was. I lifted my book, eyes drifting towards the page. It was a single line of text. Don't feed the animals. That's all? This is what made him so upset? The monkeys seem to have plenty to eat without Boris feeding them. I have personally seen them eat coconuts, corn, seeds. So what if he stopped feeding them those yellow, egg-shaped, dry biscuits? Boris called it chow. He knew I'd looked. 
They want a famine, Greg. And they will get more aggressive as the island's resources dwindle. The monkeys are going to get restless. He was staring at me, as if waiting for the gravity of his words to register on my face. He continued talking. You understand that monkeys are not so different from humans genetically and behaviorally. Remember when I captured that Alpha? What was his name? Lucky. I nodded along, remembering Lucky. Boris had told me a little about him. He was an Alpha male. You need to understand that a government has a direct interest in learning how its citizens will react to certain stimuli but they cannot perform these experiments in real time with real humans living in the real world. I nodded, not fully putting together what he was trying to say. I had sent him away. That's what they asked me to do. They said his troop and another one would go to war. They wanted to see what would happen if the Alpha disappeared. They were right, too. There was no war. Boris's voice was colored with contempt. He took another drink, swallowed, and continued. Lucky's troop terrorized the other troops, Greg. Don't you get it? They had me take out a rebel leader. The government extrapolates the data I collect to the real world. Now, I didn't want to know any of this. I'm just the lighthouse guy, you know? Why include me now? The data is in the monkeys, he said, finishing his drink. They want to start a famine here. So that if and when a famine hits the states, they'll be ready. Either that, or they got defunded and were out of a job. Boris was clearly distressed. He paced the room, trapped in his own world. I think he'd come to enjoy working with the monkeys here. He humanized them, and maybe I have too. I know I said that the monkeys are Boris's problem, but I do find myself watching them throughout the night. I've learned a lot about monkeys since I've started working here. I could almost see why a government would find value in this kind of experiment, as unethical as it may be. There's highly organized social structures, not so different from humans. Their young are dependent on their mothers for much of the beginning of their lives. They live in groups where they depend on others for protection, resources, and social bonds. Monkeys communicate, and they resolve conflict. Boris himself said that they are the most intelligent animal in the world, maybe second only to humans. Now, I know I sound like I've got island fever. These monkeys are two feet tall, covered in brown fur, and have long tails. They are nothing like humans, and their behaviors cannot be used to understand human societies. 
I know what you're thinking. You think that humans are too technologically and socially advanced. But when I try to dehumanize them, I can't. If you look at one of their faces, you can tell they're experiencing life on an advanced level. I've watched a monkey mourn a death of a family member. I've watched a mother care for their young and teach them the ways of the forest. Maybe it's not so far off after all. And it started to make sense to me. If you understand something fundamental about monkeys, you can understand something fundamental about humans. So the government created a zoo. But now, they wanted to understand a global famine. There must be some kind of mistake, I said. Boris stopped in his tracks, picked up the faxed paper from the table, crumbled it in his hands. It's an ethics violation. There's not enough to gain in all of behavior-based science to warrant this kind of experiment, he said. He dialed Major Acosta on the bulky satellite phone. I heard his unwavering voice emitting from the speakers. The conversation was over before Boris could even get a word in. Do it. Now is not the time for insubordination. And then the line went dead. He's an asshole, I said. They want to destroy everything we've built, Boris said. They built an island for this, costing who knows how much money. It, it's just inhumane. He sat back down, defeated, poured himself another drink. Well, let's keep feeding him, I said. We'll take the next resupply helicopter back to the oil rig, and we'll tell them we refuse to carry out the project. Together. Boris sighed. I offered my hand. He shook it. But the weight of our next few weeks started to weigh on me. This island was going to change fast. I lit a cigarette. If you stayed up all night and only ever talked to one guy on an island full of monkeys, then you would smoke too. We took inventory. We had two days left of chow biscuits for the monkeys. Maybe four if we started rationing now. We had enough food for ourselves for several weeks. The government wasn't going to send us out of here if we couldn't feed ourselves, and the weather was often rough. Visits were rare and expensive. The resupply day came and went. The chow ran out, and Boris started spending more time in the lab instead of observing the monkeys and taking notes on his tablet. We decided to only ever leave the lab together. Otherwise, the monkeys may start getting bold Boris asked if he could come up to the top of the lighthouse with me. I agreed. Maybe it would be nice to have some company. But the moment we left the lab, we were spotted by a troop. They watched from the trees as we made our way to the lighthouse. A male that Boris called Pinocchio walked towards us. Boris shouted for him to leave, 
but he didn't even flinch. He stared directly into our eyes, and when he was just a few feet away, he bared his teeth. I knew this monkey was trying to intimidate us. He was hungry. If I've learned anything from being around them for these last few months, it's that the best way to avoid trouble is to just give them what they want. So we showed him our open palms, showing him we had no food. This was met with a grunt, then a performative lunge. We continued to walk at our own pace. Speeding up showed that we were afraid. He followed closely until we got to the lighthouse and closed the door behind us. When we got to the top, I started on my daily maintenance checks. Boris called me over, pointing at the ground below. Pinocchio was bullying one of the other monkeys who'd followed us. He was pulling on his hair, play-biting, showing his teeth. The other monkey started fighting back. They lunged at each other, biting at each other's faces. And then it was over. Pinocchio had won. We watched him drag the corpse into the woods. Um, one less mouth to feed, Boris said somberly. Morning came. Boris had told me stories of the monkeys all night. The warmth coming through the thick windows, it felt nice on my skin. Boris was looking thoughtfully out at sea. Something caught his attention down below. Do you see that tree? Boris asked. Yeah, looks popular, I replied, seeing monkeys grooming each other and moving throughout its branches. That wasn't there before. That tree, it shouldn't be there. Isn't that in the middle of the ATV road? Okay, you need to get some sleep, old man. You're up all night and you're not used to it, I said. That tree was filled with life. What looked like hundreds of monkeys on its branches. You see those fruits? This tree's full of them. What are those, figs? I asked. I can't tell from up here. Let's check it out, Boris replied. We put on our boots and descended the winding staircase. Why had Boris said that the tree shouldn't be there? They'll ignore us while they eat, Boris said. If Boris believed it, it was probably true, and they did ignore us. We were able to approach them without any of them paying us any mind. Up close now. You know, it was, it was somehow beautiful, if I'm being honest. Monkey swung playfully from branch to branch, carefree. They looked happy, as they were just snacking on their fruits. There's more than one troop in the tree, Boris said, while clearly trying to count moving animals. There has to be. Pinocchio's troop only has 200 monkeys. This is closer to 400 or more. I think every monkey on the island is in this tree. 
Why aren't they fighting? You're, you're asking me? I replied. If there's more than one troop in the tree, there would be an all-out war. So why aren't they fighting? His tone was anxious and excited at the same time. I'm sure that this was very abnormal behavior for these monkeys, having watched them fight over anything from a coconut to who gets to groom who. But it was a famine, and they had found plenty of food in this tree. You know, maybe it's like Christmas Day in World War II, when the Axis and Allied troops on the front line stopped fighting each other. I said, hypnotized by the mass movement of monkeys, Boris started walking toward it. What are you doing? I asked. Me? I'm going to grab a fruit. I can't tell what it is. Boris said without looking back. He wasn't far from the tree now and I was worried that the monkeys would lunge at him for trying to steal their precious food. But they didn't even notice. They were totally in their own world. Boris reached up and took a fruit from the tree. And the tree went silent. The hooting and excited grunts from the monkeys just stopped. Boris sensed the change in the air. And slowly... He turned to look up at the monkeys. They were no longer jumping, playing, or grooming. All eyes were on Boris. Hundreds and hundreds of pairs of eyes looking down at him. And then silently, with the coordination of a hive mind, each monkey started to jump up and down from the branches. Boris ran as the first monkey touched the ground, and I ran beside him. I shouldn't have looked back, but their coordination was like anything I'd ever seen before. I had to look, and there were hundreds of monkeys chasing us. Their teeth were bared, the universal sign that they wanted blood. Our blood. And we barely made it through the door to the lab. We slammed it shut just in time to hear the weight of their bodies crash into the other side. And the sound was loud enough to echo off the back wall of the metal lab building. What the hell is going on? I said, both of us pushing a heavy table across the ground and bracing it against the door. I, I don't know. I've never seen anything like it, Boris said. They continued to ram the door. It was like they didn't feel it at all when their heads banged up against it. Soon enough, they were on all sides of the lab building, their nails scraping against the windows and walls. We were surrounded. Eventually, they would figure out how to break the windows. And once they got in, they would tear us limb from limb for stealing their fruit. We reinforced what we could. For now, it was safe. Boris was sitting in a chair, playing with a mysterious fruit in his hands, just staring at it intently. 
the light from a bare bulb reflected off its skin. When Boris turned it, I could see a swirling orange pattern at the center. For a moment, the light caught on the small hairs of the fruit, and it almost seemed like they writhed with a mind of their own. Mmm. Mmm. You should try this. It's actually pretty good. Boris said. And I was horrified to see that he was chewing. Stop, I said. We don't even know what that is. I tried to wrestle it from his hands. We're on a remote island, thousands and thousands of miles from a hospital. Spit that out. Well, the monkeys are eating it. They must know what it is. Their bodies are small and their metabolisms are fast. If it was poisonous, they would all be dead. You're not a monkey, Boris. If you get sick, I can't help you, I said. Oh, you're Ross, he said, and took another bite. I watched him chew, swallow. He stopped chewing abruptly. The fruit rolled from his hand and onto the table. His mouth opened, and a narrow brown tendril rolled out from the back of his throat. It tapered down the length of it, and at the end, it split off into two branches, like a snake's tongue. Boris's eyes widened as he looked down at the tendril coming from his mouth, and then the tendril sucked itself back down his throat. His eyes went blank, and he slumped in his chair. His hands just dangled at his sides. A second later, he just woke up. He quickly sat up, took a deep breath, and opened his eyes. He lay his palms flat on the table, and then turned to look at me. His eyes were yellow and crusted over. Are you all right? I asked, and he was looking right at me as he picked up the fruit again. His movements were jerky and mechanical. You don't look all right, I said taking a step towards the satellite phone. You, you should try this. You know, it's actually pretty good. He said, his voice now low and rasping. His breathing became labored, like he just run a marathon. Boris, you need a doctor. You're allergic to that fruit or something. Try to make yourself throw up while I call the major. I said, trying to stay as calm as I could. I stopped once he stood up. His legs were too straight, and he was looking straight at the ground. A strand of yellow drool escaped his mouth. I had a hand on the phone when he raised his head, and he bared his teeth at me. Like a monkey. I backed up into the desk, and I knocked some papers to the ground. Boris held out the fruit for me to eat. 
orange juices ran down his arm. And I ran to the bathroom and I locked the door. The only weapon I could find was the heavy ceramic lid to the back of the toilet. I held it high, waiting for him to try and crash through the door. And I waited. There was a sound coming from the far side of the lab. I held my ear to the door. And on the other side was chaos. Glass breaking, furniture getting knocked over. I backed up. There was a thud. The door rattled on its hinges. Another thud. And a hand appeared from below the door. A monkey hand. It clawed at the base of the door, nails scratching off the paint. And it grabbed at anything it could blindly. It found the bath mat on the floor and disappeared with it under the door. And more monkey hands appeared. I was terrified. I looked around for a way out, seeing sunlight only through one possible exit, an air vent high up on the wall behind the toilet. It was square with a metal shuttered cover. If I got the shuttered cover off, maybe I could squeeze through it to the outside. I stood on top of the toilet and I prided it with my fingers. No luck. I couldn't get the screws out either. Boris was rattling the doorknob on the other side of the door, and the monkeys slapped the ground and walls blindly from under the door. I heaved the heavy lid from the toilet at the vent with all my strength. The metal bent, and it released two of the screws. I tore the cover off, grabbed at the opening with both my hands, and I pulled myself up. I could fit my head and just one of my arms through. And then I pushed off the inside wall of the bathroom with my feet to get my chest out. Luckily, there were no monkeys outside waiting for me. I shimmied all the way out, and I managed to get to the ground without hurting myself. I was full of adrenaline now, and halfway to the forested edge. When I looked back, Boris's face stared at me from the wall. He was standing on the toilet in the bathroom. Why don't you want to try it? It's actually pretty good. He said, in a strange, raspy voice that was not his own. His eyes were totally consumed by the cloudy yellow now. Brown tendrils emerged from his mouth and nose, and they spread over the edges of the hole. His body couldn't fit through behind them. He disappeared. And in his place came a flood of rabid-looking monkeys. And I ran as fast as I could. Low branches cut my skin as I tore through the woods. The monkeys jumped from tree to tree right behind me. I was more scared than I've ever been in my life. One of them was catching up. It was Boris. His closed fist pushed off the dirt to propel him forward impossibly fast. He smiled through the trees at me while running on all fours. But I knew where he was going. When I made it to the cliff, I didn't have time to take a moment and calculate my jump. I jumped as hard into the water as I could, and I just shut my eyes on impact. 
I stayed under the water for as long as I could hold my breath, waiting for the monkeys or Boris to jump in after me. They didn't. And I surfaced. They stayed in front of the setting sun on the cliff above. Boris was the tallest among them. He turned silently to leave. And the monkeys just followed. I swam around the island until I found a shoreline, and I collapsed exhausted onto the beach. Night started to fall. I needed to move, get as far away from here as I possibly could. I'd never explored this side of the island before. It was dead silent. Everywhere you looked was silent. Nothing seemed to live out here. No birds, not even insects. I walked for as long as I could. I took a break by a boulder, and I fell asleep with my head in my hands. I woke up at sunrise. I didn't know where I was. I could hear the faint sound of monkeys in the distance. The island was too small to stay hidden for long, and it was a miracle I hadn't been found yet. I looked up, and I saw something moving in the trees. There was no mistaking it. It was a drone. It flew silently in the sky through the trees about ten feet above me. It then zipped off into the sky, quickly obscured by the clouds. Had I imagined that? I didn't think Boris had a drone. But my primary concern was not this. I was thirsty. I needed to get back to camp now. I decided to climb a tree to get my bearings. I didn't even know what part of the island I could be in. From the tree, though, I could see the lighthouse. In the water nearby, I saw a small boat approaching on the horizon. The Coast Guard. I climbed down the tree as fast as I could, and I ran towards the boat. I didn't care how much noise I made. I had to make it to them before Boris and his gang of rabid monkeys did. There was one person standing by the boat on the beach, and I ran down the embankment and onto the sand, staggering across the beach. I called out, screaming that they needed to get back on the boat. The person didn't turn around, though. Finally, I got close enough to put my hand on his shoulder. At my touch, he turned around, and his mouth was full of writhing brown tendrils. He held out his hands in front of him, and he walked toward me with yellow eyes. They beat me to him. Boris emerged from the embankment. He approached on all fours with hundreds of monkeys behind him. And it was over. I knew I was going to die. The walk back, it was truly full of nightmares. I was surrounded on all sides. Most of the monkeys walked by my side rigidly. Some of the other monkeys had completely forgotten how to walk. Their faces dragged in the dirt as they pushed themselves forward with their legs. The guy from the Coast Guard crawled along the ground, throwing his hands in front of him and dragging the rest of his body. Their eyes, they were all that identical, yellow, swirling clouds. I realized they were bringing me to the tree, the one with the fruit that had corrupted Boris. 
they formed a semicircle at the base, and I looked closer at the tree. It was all wrong. The bark had no texture. It was smooth all the way up. The leaves were all different shapes. The branches were full of hairy fruit. This was not a tree. This was something pretending to be a tree. A hole opened at my feet, dirt falling into it as it opened wider. The monkeys closed in behind me. I tried to make a run for it, but it was no use. They bit and scratched at my skin until I returned to the ridge. The hole was several feet deep now, and it smelled like death. The bottom was filled with bones, all white and picked clean. And they pushed me in. I crashed to the bottom. Monkey bones, that's what they were. I stood up and I tried to get out, and a monkey bit my finger and I fell back into the hole. They tossed handfuls of dirt on top of me, and little by little, they were burying me alive. I tried to stand, but I couldn't get my footing on all the bones. No. No, it was something else. There was something holding me down, I realized. A thick, fleshy, brown tendril was wrapped around my waist. It pulled me towards the ground, and the bones cut into my skin from below. And to my horror, I put it all together. This, this tree, it was like one giant muscle, and its roots were tendrils below the earth. Another tendril burst from the wall of dirt to my side. It wrapped itself around my neck, and it squeezed. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't even scream. I tried to get it off, but it was just too strong. And the monkeys continued to throw more dirt on me. The hole was filling up around me now. And the light was fading. Desperate, I managed to get my hand in my pocket. And I found my lighter. I held it below the tendril at my neck. And immediately I felt it let go. And I gasped for air. And then dirt got in my mouth and I coughed. I lit the flame under the tentacle again around my waist. And it just slithered away. I stood up, reached back up to the edge, and I waited for more monkeys to bite my fingers. Nothing. I pulled myself up. The monkeys had backed off. I held the lighter out in front of me, and the light from it reflected off hundreds of yellow eyes. The monkeys were watching me, captivated by the flame. Maybe the parasite was terrified of fire, and it released them in that moment. Something primal registered on the monkeys' faces, and I think that in that moment, they didn't push me back into the hole because I had defeated death. I was now to be respected. But this moment did not last long. The parasite regained control. The monkeys split apart. Boris walked forward, the guy from the Coast Guard behind him. I held up the lighter towards them as they approached, and they paused. I didn't know how much longer this flame would last. 
was a very old lighter. So I found a piece of dry brush from the ground, lit it on fire, held up the burning bush like a torch. I brought it to the tree and I lit the lower branches on fire too. And then an earthquake rumbled below me. The ground beneath stirred as the leaves burned. The tree rose to even higher heights, exposing a network of tendrils that were formerly deep below the earth. The tree lumbered off with thundering steps away from me, leaving only a cloud of smoke behind. I held my torch up, keeping the monkeys at a distance until I made it to the water. The boat was anchored just a few feet out to sea. I pulled the anchor from the sand and I trudged out into the water while making sure to keep my torch from getting wet. They followed me to the shore. Smoke rose from the island as I drove the boat north towards the oil rig. A civilian fishing boat found me at sea a few days later and dropped me at the oil rig. They took me to the med bay for treatment. One of the medics said I would have died from advanced hepatitis B if they hadn't got to me in time. Major Acosta was reading by my bed when I woke up one morning. So, you met the true subject of our zoo, he said. What? I said, disoriented, rubbing sleep from my eyes. Boris wasn't supposed to eat one, that half-baked deserter. We engineered it as a means to facilitate cooperation. It worked too, as you could tell. What we did not expect was for the tree to stand up and walk away. No one thought it would work on plants. He said, and I was speechless. The island, it was never a zoo for monkeys. I was just a mouse that didn't know it had just been released into a snake's enclosure. They have blood on their hands and they know it. What the hell did they intend to do with a serum like this? I had to sign a book's worth of documents swearing myself to secrecy. But I just had to tell someone. If a tree that doesn't look like a tree sprouts out of the ground overnight, don't eat the fruits. Thank you.